everybody welcome to the 235th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sunburnt sage <laughs> sunburnt sage in the building bro oh man so i uh i'm a good son and a good uh nephew uh my my uncle kenny uh is moving and he's leaving San Francisco to go to northern uh, New York. And my mom wanted some of the furniture in his house. So my older brother and I, in the last week, drove from Metro Oregon to uh, El Cerrito, California. And we've been lifting boxes and furniture. And your boy is washed, man. I went hiking and I fell and it hurt every quadrant of my body on the fall. Like your boy hasn't felt like this is 30 and i wasn't prepared for it so yeah sunburn sage is in the building um i'm i'm ready to listen to you talk so how are you doing man good it was a beautiful sunday in the rose city a very productive went out for you know pretty good walk did some yard work mowed the lawn uh pulled some weeds got that front yard looking very springtime fresh so i wear that like once like you said this is 30 that's 30 plus for me like taking pride in how your front lawn looks i mean that's just like what everybody sees when they drive by you know so it's nice to have all the spring flowers yeah you know you take pride in what you have so it's really nice to go out there also get some sun get that vitamin d and you just never know what type of days you're going to get in portland so whenever the sun's out uh, take advantage and it's just a good weekend. I mean, that that's, that's really all it is. Like we watched a training day and drinks, drank some beers, made some white Russians. I mean, it good, good, solid weekend. My only complaint is that it's almost over. Yeah. I mean, uh, like as, as I'm thinking about all the parts of my body that are bruised from hiking and moving, stuff man yo your your boy your boys your boys are uh but do you know who do you know who else is hurting sage our portland trailblazers that they're hurting something fierce uh, it was not the week that we had hoped would happen for our our blazers a one in three week uh every team that we played with a winning record we basically sit down, be humble. Uh, the Clippers handed us a 17 point loss on Tuesday in Los Angeles, 133 to 116, a game in which the Blazers found themselves down 26 points in the second quarter. Follow that up against the Utah Jazz, losing by 19 points, 122 to 103, a game that was a toss-up at, at halftime. Uh, the game just slipped away from, from the Blazers, and they bounce back. They don't let those teams beat them twice. Handled business against a shorthanded Detroit team, uh, beating the Pistons a 118 to 103, but unfortunately could not keep any of that momentum as the Miami Heat came into Portland and really handled us. Uh, the score was not as close as it uh, was in the official stat records, 
Miami officially wins 107 to 98. Our Trailblazers are now 31 and 22. Sixth place in the Western Conference, two games behind the Lakers, three games behind the Nuggets. And thankfully, due to a DeMar DeRozan game-winning jumper, the Dallas Mavericks are not able to gain any ground on us. We still have a game and a half advantage over the Mavericks. And it is important to note the Blazers do own that tiebreaker. Indiana also did us a solid by defeating the Memphis Grizzlies, who I don't think enough people are talking about, uh, despite not having Jaron Jackson Jr. all year long. They sit just three games behind the Trailblazers, and we see Memphis three times over the final 19 games. So uh, the playoff seedings, I think, are far from permanent. Uh, I think there's a lot of jockeying for the Blazers, not necessarily north. They could go south. Hopefully they stay status quo and do not have to go into the play-in. Sage, this has been, I think – a tough week for for Blazer fans. <clears throat> and I say that because we're not just getting beat, we're, we're getting blown out. And it's interesting because I had, through multiple points in the week, I, I, I prep for our podcasts and I'll, I'll put talking points down or something I see the local media put out, I'll, I'll add into my notes or, or things that I'm seeing. And it seems like, things only start to compound and get worse with each passing game. And, you know, I was really prepared going into this and and really waking up this morning and really excited the podcast still am, but maybe with a different tune. Okay. You have a couple of rough games against two of the West uh, West best in Los Angeles and Utah, but you're able to bounce back, you know, you handle business against Detroit and it would be really wonderful to get another victory over a really strong Miami heat team. But Sage, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Uh, Tonight's Miami game was kind of like a microcosm of what we're seeing uh, with this Portland Trailblazer team. If it's not uh, consistent, excuse me, we're either seeing inconsistent effort, which we saw against the Clippers, um, inconsistent play, which we saw against the, the Jazz, and then just inconsistent focus which we saw against the Miami Heat. The Blazers had 12 turnovers, Sage, in the first half against the Miami Heat. That is not only more than they averaged for an entire game, but it led to 20 Miami points off of turnovers in that first half, allowed them to build their lead. And we saw turnovers on three consecutive possessions to start the game. This is coming off of a 15-point victory. Like, you should be, you know, focused. You want more. You're hungry. You want to eat more. I have no idea what to make of this team, Sage. Uh, I think, personally, something is going on in that locker room that we are not being told. Uh, Jason Quick pointed that out on Twitter just moments before we decided to podcast. So I don't feel like I'm crazy. Like, other people are seeing what I'm seeing. You've got Terry Stotts in post-game interviews really not holding the the team accountable for for their defense. And then Yusuf Nurkic is saying, yeah, we are not on the same page defensively. There is a huge discrepancy in where we are at from player and coach. And it feels to me like a combination of that lockout shortened season in 2012, in which we had Jamal Crawford and Raymond Felton and Marcus Camby. And they essentially formed a mutiny against Nate McMillan and got him fired midseason. 
and the 2015 Blazers after Wesley Matthews tore his Achilles. It just seems like that team just completely gave up. I watched this team sage against good teams. We played Miami really strong in that first quarter. Really strong. The defense was wonderful. Held them to 25 points. We were up six. Miami punched us in the mouth. Like they took our punch and punched us back. They swarmed us. They picked us up. Played physical with us. The refs allowed it. We folded like a deck of cards. I, I don't know where the heart is with this team. I've, I've really held my tongue criticizing this team because, again, you don't know what these players are going through, and they still may be going through something personally. But this is not the same Blazer roster we're used to. No one expected us to go 4-0 this week. Hell, even if you went 1-3, and but you went to the wire in those three losses, you can take that. We are not even competitive against teams better than us record-wise, or even plus 500. Not even competitive. Dame said it as such after the Utah game. Every team that comes into our gym or we go into their gym and they have a better record than us, they're putting us away and they're doing it with ease. I don't know what's going on, but I have a hunch that Terry has lost the team. They're tuning him out. There could be something else that's causing the team to play so inconsistent, but they're underachieving. This roster may be imbalanced some. I will wholeheartedly admit that, but it is damn talented. It is too good to be putting out the type of product that we're seeing on a game-by-game basis. You know, we're going against good teams, and good teams have good strategy. Like, the clip... the one game that I watched fully this week was the Clippers game and they did their damnedest to make Dame to make Dame as uncomfortable as possible. They sent pressure at him the entire game. And I thought that with Norman Powell and CJ McCollum returning that we could handle the pressure that good teams will put on Dame. And it, we didn't, we didn't for an entire uh, game to, be consistent and we took the L so hopefully this is just a speed bump in what uh what we can do but here here's the deal I I was busy being a good uh I was busy moving stuff so like my favorite comedy rapper Jay Zone said in the song heavy mental heavy metal I'm going to take a three minute St. Ives piss and let you talk because I, I, I have nothing else to say. So bust some crazy shit like Jay Zone said. I mean, wh- where do you want to start? Like I. It's really hard to talk about the Blazers and say X is the scapegoat, but that is not the case with this team. There is not one thing that is wrong. It's everything. There, it, it is everything and anything, and that makes it so difficult to address. And it really is difficult to provide hope for, for the fans that they are going to turn it around. Um, I want to pose this question to you, Sage. This has nothing to do with the previous week. This has everything to do with your time as a fan this season and whatnot. Off the top of your head, what do you think is the the core issue? What is the root of the issue with this current iteration of the Portland Trailblazers? It it could either be the coaches don't prepare the players to play 
in high pressure situations, high leverage spots, or it could be the players not performing in those spots. You don't know what those coaches are saying. So I think communication and realizing, I think communication and realizing when, uh, you know, your teammate needs help, whether it be offensively or defensively might be the biggest reason. And it could be coaching. It could be the players. You just don't know, but I, I would go with, uh, adapting in as well. For me, when I, when I really dove deep into this, because, you know, I'm, I'm still home working from home and, you know, we're still in the pandemic. So it's not like you can just, you know, see whoever you want and go do normal things. Like we're still starting to get reacclimated into society. And so, you know, there's still a lot of downtime. Like even if I'm playing 2K or just, you know, texting, you know, you and Anise or, you know, Stu and Ian, like our group chats, like I'm always thinking about the team. Like it's my biggest um, distraction. And I mean, distraction in a good way. It's like, it's, it's my favorite hobby. It's something that consumes a lot of my my time and thought. So when I when I look at this, I try to remove emotion. And I try to objectively look at this team and see what what is what is the problem. I think there are two things, and I think it's both from and I think it, it touches every aspect of the organization: coaching, front office, and players. I think there is one a lack of discipline with the coaching staff, and what I mean by that is, I'll give you two examples, and they're both Yusuf Nurkic-centric, and by no means am I specifically throwing Nurkic under the bus. They're just the two that immediately came to my mind. Right before he injured his wrist against the Pacers, he was speaking to the media about how the coaches do not want him to reach in. What does he do that next game against the Pacers? He reaches in and he fractures his wrist. That's a lack of discipline right there from one of your most important players. Take the Utah Jazz game. Nurk picks up two quick fouls. We're not even in halfway through the second quarter. He gets frustrated on the offensive end, and he chases down one of the Utah forwards and just, just fouls him intentionally. That's his third foul. He has to go to the bench. That, that is a lack of discipline. You, you I remember the, doing that the Utah a few years ago. Skinny Nurk. You look at the type of shots Portland takes versus these elite teams. Like when I watch Utah and I watch Phoenix and the Clippers, they're not taking these quick contested jumpers. They're, they're not dribbling the air out of the basketball. They're, they may be going isolation, but there's other things happening. You, you, I rarely watch elite teams and be like, oh man, that was a bad shot. Most of the times they're working to get a good shot. Portland has some of the worst shot selection I've ever seen of, of any team. We get bailed out a bit because we have tough shot makers in Lillard and McCollum, but that doesn't mean they are good shots. So the players have a role in that as well because they continue to take these shots. But the coaches, I don't think they have the discipline to actually enforce a player for making a bad decision. I think the other issue is accountability. It comes from the front office completely spazzing on the 2017 draft. We could have Bam Adebayo right now. We've essentially traded four first-round picks for Zach Collins and Robert Covington. There have been – how many star players have been out there that, that we 
failed to get James Harden even put us on his short list. So Neil O'Shea is not without blame. I mean, Terry Stotts, there's there, he, he it, it kind of ties back into discipline, but there's just no accountability with, with this team. The, the players can run amok and know that nothing will happen to them. They won't get benched. The great coaches have a fine line between dad and best friend. You know, there, there's always that, okay, like we can, we're cool. We can you know, have a beer together, but don't cross me. Otherwise you're, you're going to, you know, kind of you fear dad a little bit. The, Terry Stotts is too buddy, buddy with these players. And I, I think they don't respect him to be completely honest. That's why I don't think it's hundred percent on Terry because the players are going out and continuing to do their own thing, but it's also on Terry because he's lost their ear. And that's that's a massive problem. Right. He preaches yeah. that empowerment thing, and that's a two-headed sword. It really it is. is. You are one hundred percent right. It is. It is a uh, a gift and a curse. He made Alfred Minu a, a competent shooter, but he also made Alfred Minu a liability as a shooter when it, the shots aren't falling and it's it, the shots are missing left or right, not short or far. Mantra and his strategy of empowering his players. When it when we're hot, it's wonderful and it's great. But when we're cold or teams are putting pressure on us, it can look really bad. Yeah, like I, I think from day one when we started this podcast, we talked about Terry empowering his players, but too much empowerment leads to some sloppy decision making on all fronts, as you've mentioned. So. It's a thin line. How much freedom is too much freedom for the for basketball players? Or I think he's given them too much freedom in the past few days. And I think a big test for him will be reining back some of the freedoms to some of these players and making them play in a structure where we do manufacture efficient shots. Like we've seen coaches that people have laughed at have really beautiful offense in this league. Like. Alvin Gentry has been a laugh. Like people thought he was a retread coach. His offenses are great and they're fluid. So I think these great offensive coaches have struck the line of like how, what you're, what you can do, what is okay to do. And I tried in the past to be like, well, if the team is cool with the shot, it's all good. But yeah, I, I think, this week has shown that maybe maybe the freedom is a little too much and the bad shots or the rush shots or the the no, no movement and no bending of the defensive shots might not be the the move so yeah I mean, and i i i would even go as far as to say i don't think it's just this week i don't think it's a small sample size we have well our, large... our hot shooting probably made us not realize the the quality of shots, but as it misses, you know, you start to notice. So yeah, I, I would imagine that the, the hot shooting of, you know, February and January and, you know, after the all-star break kind of made us like, yeah, it's a bad shot, but it went in. I'm sure that these habits have been there for years, not days. Absolutely. And I would, I would argue that, it's all strength of schedule based. And, and I know it's some people may be listening in and saying, 
dude, we're, we're nine games over 500. Nurk and CJ have basically each missed, you know, two months. What, what's all the fuss about? I think the fuss is that there's no, there's no outside of that Lakers victory and maybe the Philly game. There's really no victory that the Blazers can really hang their hat on and say, okay, this is the team we are. This is the team we can be. This is the team that we're going to be consistently. The Blazers are one and eight against teams above them in the Western Conference. That's Utah, Phoenix, the Clippers, Denver, and the Lakers. That one victory came the third game into the season in Staples Center against the Lakers. This is this uh, stat I got from Jason Quick is is pretty damning. Of the Blazers' thirty wins, so this is prior to Detroit. So of of our thirty one wins now. Only eight have come against teams that have winning records. I think that was tied for fourth fewest in the league. I mean, newsflash, in the playoffs, we're going to be facing a team that has probably a better record than us. So you would think the team would get up for those challenges. So you talked about these bad habits being years, not days. Those stats back it up. You know, we are able to get away with our bad habits against teams that can't match us, you know, pound for pound talent wise. But you go, you start going up against uh, Booker and Paul, George and Kawhi, uh, Donovan and Rudy, even today, Bam, Bam and Jimmy. Those two can go up against Dame and CJ any day of the week and they've got other parts. They're, they're ready to go. They, they're, they welcome those shots because they know that if they're patient enough, they can get a better shot on the other uh, the, exactly so it's when we say there's not one true problem it, it, it really is there's not one true problem and i will i will pinpoint that with with something else i really wanted to talk to you about sage and that's carmelo anthony i think we've both been pretty big proponents of carmelo anthony of the signing of his presence He's been an incredible teammate. He was wonderful in the bubble. The production you get from a minimum contract is really off the charts. He's already probably won us three or four games alone uh, with his offensive outbursts. So in that sense, it was a good signing. I think we're starting to see the cracks crumble. We're starting to, you know, see cracks in, in that in that concrete, so to say, because Neil Shea, when we signed him, said, we're here to protect Carmelo's legacy. You're not going to see what happened in Houston happened here. This I will not fault Terry Stotts for. I think he's kind of being backed into a corner into playing Carmelo Anthony. And I don't think any of us in our wildest dreams expected the team to be this bad with he and Ennis Cantor on the floor at the same time. And to kind of put that in, in, a, in a, under a microscope of just how negative that pairing can be go to that Utah game I think was one of the most winnable games of the entire season I don't care that Utah had won 21 straight home games we were rested Utah was on the second night of a back-to-back after losing in overtime the previous night in Phoenix we're playing them well however in just under nine minutes that Carmelo and Ennis shared the floor, Utah outscored us 29 to 10. 
that was the ball game right there in, in nine minutes. And after that game, when Terry was asked, you know, what are you going to do? And he says, well, both those guys are going to play. We just have to hope that what they give us offensively is better than what they give us defensively. And that's, that's pretty damning. And I, I think Terry is in a tough situation here. Even me as someone who doesn't feel like Terry is the best person for the job at the moment can really understand. And I feel for him because I, I know he's probably being forced to play Carmelo and you can absolutely cannot take Ennis Cantor off of the floor. He just damn near set a record that had lasted over 45 years, grabbing 30 rebounds against the Detroit Pistons. The previous record was 27. Uh, he, aside from Damian Lillard, I'd argue Ennis Cantor has been our second best player all season long, maybe second most important. We certainly don't have the wins we do w- without Ennis Cantor. So, I mean, you can't stop playing Ennis Cantor. You'll definitely lose the locker room if you do that. But I feel like there are ways to minimize the pairings. And I think if Terry Stotts generally wants to keep his job, he's going to have to be an asshole. He's going to have to hurt some feelings. And I think it starts with with Carmelo Anthony. So you mentioned, I mean, it's obvious that those two, as a duo, is a humongous liability for uh, the team. They've played 584 minutes together. That's that's plenty. I tweeted this this, this week. Our starting lineup uh, before Norman Powell had played 156. We, we it, it's not like the evidence of those two not being a good pairing is a small sample size. They played m- probably one of the two longest like two man units. Um, the evidence is clear. Like, I just did a query on NBA Wow inside, and I know that Terry Stotts is seeing this information and being like, "Hmm, maybe I shouldn't play them their entire rotations together." So it, it's it, it's confusing on why why it is, and I, you know when when we're limited in bodies, I get it. You kind of have to make do with what you have, but. Now the roster's who's, healthy. Who, who's who's on the injury report besides Zach Collins, who we expected to be out this year? Yeah, there are no more excuses here. So when did Nurk take... get healthy? When did Nurk get healthy? I'm going to add a, another. Yusuf Nurkic made his return Friday, March 26th, against the Orlando Magic. Two days after my birthday. So I'm going to run another query. So since Nurk has been back, they have played 94 minutes together, which let's just take it off. Let's see. In a possible 275 minutes, they played 90 of it. So they played a third of their minutes together. A third of their minutes as a duo together. One of the biggest talking points this season was how they're not a good match together. They've played third... Uh, third of their total minutes allowed in the games those two are together it's it's mind-blowing the lack of creativity on yes like okay let let's let's put mellow in at the six minute mark where robert and norm are still on the court and then put ennison 
like there's ways to put it so those two don't play the line share their minutes together so that and that's disturbing again i i am not anti-mellow but i do believe you're playing t- your performance should warrant playing time and right now, Carmelo is is really struggling significantly. I know plus minus is not the end all be all statistic. Evan Turner would would love to endorse that philosophy as as well. But Melo in the games we lost this week was a team low minus nineteen against the Clippers. Played seventeen and a half minutes, got ten shots up, only hit two. You go to Utah again, tied with CJ for a team low minus 19 still gets eight shots up in 17 minutes and then tonight was by far the the worst uh, in terms of the plus minus didn't score played 16 minutes minus 20 and I believe he had a 11 minute stretch in the first half where he didn't get a breather like that was his rotation was 11 straight minutes and this was right after Terry Stotts had praised Nasir Little the previous game and Nas plays 12 minutes, I believe, five of those coming in, in garbage time. What what so, game is it? Tonight against Miami. Okay. Let's see if Popcorn Machine has it. So I'm having a – I think if, if you're the team, I, I think you're, you're seeing this and you're kind of wondering why. Why, why are certain players playing and others aren't being rewarded uh, right now, Nasir Little is a better fit for this team than Carmelo Anthony. Sage, you talked about the lack of creativity. The Blazers are now finally healthy. They can go big. They can go small. You you don't necessarily have to say, okay, Robert, you're going out. Carmelo, you're coming in. Nurkic, you're going out. Ennis, you're coming in. You can play Nas. You can play DJ. You can you have three guards in Dame, CJ, and, 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 and Norman. You have Harry Giles if you want to go. You have Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Like, you can play Rocco at the small five. You can play Melo at the small five. Like, you can do so many other things than Melo and Cantor. And right now, Ennis Cantor, I think, is holding his weight. And then some. He is deserving of the minutes. Well, yeah. I mean, there's strategies like Tom Thibodeau having direct backups to players, but even Tibbs shows some originality with what he does when like Emmanuel Kickley was doing so well, he played him more minutes. I don't. Yeah. I, I think rotations, rotations and making sure that these players respect them is going to be Terry's ultimate test in these last, however many games, um, 19 19 games 19 games to prove that you can be a leader of men and you know to motivate these players to bring their all out they know you better than any other work partnership ever like if you can't motivate these guys in 19 games to compete in the most talented roster that they've had in two decades if you can't do it, Charles Lee can, Jawan Howard can, um, Becky Hammond can. Yeah, like th- if you're a Terry Stott stand, this is the time. Like he has to motivate these guys to be to be great. And if he can't do it, we've been Here's- we've we've kicked the can down the court or the, down the road a long time. It might be 
here's my thing with 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 that sage. I I've got the sense that you can just see in Terry's face after every loss. It's almost like he knows the clock is running out on his tenure. I think the only thing that that can save him is a good playoff run. So even if Neil Olshay explicitly said you play Carmelo, and this is just my example, nothing that I am saying is fact, just an example. Even if even if he said that is your direct order, if you do this, you're fine for the season. But if you don't do that, you know you're going to get the axe. Even if that was the case, you're going to get the axe regardless with the way the team is playing. Why not do what you think is best? Because there, there, there are so many other ways to utilize this team than playing a pairing that doesn't work. And I also think there is an off factor with Carmelo Anthony and some of these younger players because when Melo checks into the game, what do we do? We throw it to him three or four straight possessions in the post. He goes to his ISO game like it's 2013 and we stand around. Maybe that was promised to him for him to come back. I, I'm not certain, but we have Norman Powell now in the game. Like he put up like 35 points against the Clippers. He can put the ball on the floor. He had 15 free throw attempts that, that game. Like there are other options. You hit on it a couple of topics ago, but when we were banged up, we needed to run mellow ISOs because that was the only option we had. He was our that third was a, creator. He was our second that, creator. That was a great option for us at the time it's no longer a great option for us given the roster. So it Terry Stotts, he, he has to be an asshole. He has to make the tough decisions. And we, we've talked about this. They're going to be uncomfortable decisions. When the roster gets healthy, rotations shrink as the season gets down to In the playoffs time. Exactly. You're not going to play. Are you going to be able to afford to play whoever in playoff minutes? when the game is the most important i have a question because you've been we you've been pretty negative on terry what in the last week have you thought that terry stotts has been has done well because i think to be a a good observer of things you, what has he done well in in the last few weeks that has impressed you going to sound like a backhanded compliment but it's only because of what happened tonight i loved how he finally unleashed nasir little and he played him at the two against the detroit pistons it was uh he went small i think he had like hollis jefferson at the five there was covington out there you had nasir you had dj and i think you had either cj or norm you know really switchable really switchable but nasir little i think gives this team something he's the only player that that gives the team what he does and what i mean by that he can catch and shoot from three he is incredibly strong so he can take contact at the rim he can put the ball on the floor and and finish he runs the break incredibly well uh dame had a fantastic outlet pass to him against detroit for for a slam dunk he's great moving without the ball he's an energizer bunny he attacks the glass everything you want in a prototypical modern day two-way wing, everything you absolutely want. And why I'm going to say it's a backhanded compliment is because he went from playing 24 minutes, he had 11 points uh, against the the Pistons, was a a plus 15, to playing 12. 
and five of those were, were in garbage time. Just after Terry said he was going to, you know, give him a, a, a bigger role and was kind of talking about his progress. Coach um, speak I is think, the worst. Yeah, and I think Jason Quick uh, was on Twitter during the game in, interacting with fans, and somebody mentioned that, and he's like, it, it's bizarre. Like, I, I give up. And I think a lot of fans are at that point, too. Like, I willingly give Terry Stotts credit when I see adjustments, when I see him do something well with the rotation. But I have to be critical of what I see as well. Like, I, I can't be complete positive or complete negative. I just have to be realistic. And unfortunately, this team is underachieving, and that's a reflection of the head coach. I mean, most basketball fans think that it's black or white. In reality, it's a bunch of shades of gray. Uh, since we've been talking about rotation so much, dribble, pass, shoot. Our, our playoff fate is in the hands of Terry Stotts' rotations. Yeah, you shoot that. Yeah, I'm pulling up from from half court. I'm logo Lillard. Logo yeah, you shoot Lillard it from the hash. I mean that <laughs> we just we just we, talked about it. Yeah, we just talked about NS and Melo playing a third of their of the possible minutes together. So obviously, this this roster is is good. It is it imbalanced? Yes, but the fact remains, this roster is too damn talented to be playing how they're playing. And I think the key to kind of unlocking their potential is to put players on the floor that complement one another, that you can switch on defense, that you can maybe be a little bit aggressive. Uh, you don't need players who are just going to stand around, like find a good mix and match. Like, I feel like we have this puzzle that he, that it just can't be, you know, they're trying to fit these puzzle pieces together that don't work when, you know, maybe try, try a couple of other combinations. But I think that's all we're asking. And when we do see something that works, it just kind of gets broken apart. So that's been been frustrating. But another dribble pass shoot for you and something you probably already know the answer for me because I'm very high on this player. But I want to ask you, dribble pass shoot, Nasir Little should be the starting small forward right now for roster balance. So that means CJ Norm is out, right? Six man, yep. I wouldn't do it, and I don't think Neil's going, or I don't think Terry and Neil want to do it. So, personally, I would rather have Norman Powell start. Uh, we read the numbers a few days or a few episodes ago about him being such a more efficient player as a uh, starter versus off the bench. And if if we're trying to keep him and give him all this money, I would, uh, I I would, I would play Norman, but I would also give Nasir. 24 minutes a game so i'm shooting that and there's a few reasons why one something that i've you know been reading about and then really noticing when you play three guards that are six three you're almost always at a disadvantage uh, against uh, elite teams that have these coveted wings like the clippers would be an absolute nightmare of a matchup because Paul George and Kawhi are just turning and shooting over. Yeah, you. they can shoot over them. Exactly. And I think we're going to see another tough test with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown on Tuesday. It's not that they're not talented. And I did want to see this work initially. I was like, yep, we have to start Norm. Uh, you hit it on the head. 
his on-off splits when he starts versus when he's off the bench are, are pretty noticeable. But I do think at a certain point in time, you have to match up against the other team. Maybe on some nights you can go with your three-guard lineup. But other nights, I think you need to put some size out there. And I, I just love what Nasir is able to do. Um, we looked at the heat and just absolutely blitzed the shit out of Damian Lillard. And everybody stood around. There, there was not one player that really was active. I think Nasir is a player that, that, that is active. He's not quite a decision maker at this stage of his career. But like I said, if, if you pass it to him and he's open, you're confident that he's going to hit the three. He can put the ball on the floor. He can move without the basketball. He's learning the ropes on defense. He just gives that effort and energy. I, I do think there needs to be somewhat of a shakeup to the starting lineup. You can finish with your with your guards if you feel that way. But with or you could bring CJ off the bench, which I know is out of the realm of possibility. So I'm not even going to waste any more breath about that. I mean, I, I do think a Dame Powell Nas is the best balance because CJ and Dame are so similar. But that's that not happening. Happen. So that, that ain't happen. So and then to, to go to circle all the way back. This is where I think it falls on Neil Lolshay because he went out and got a player that he knew would be an undersized small forward. He did his homework. He knows he's not good coming off the bench. Yes, it was a good trade for both teams because I think he's a, a better version than Gary Trent Jr. at their respective stages of their careers. But again, he kind of put this handcuff behind the, the, the coaching staff because now what do you do? Do you have to start Norm? Like, do you have to give mellow minutes? Like, are there certain, you know, wink winks that, that are going on? Um, so again, Neil, Neil's not without fault. I still think it was a smart trade, but again, it comes back to Terry Stotts kind of being a jerk and saying, this is how it's going to be. You're all going to get your touches. I think we're the best team possible. And you know what, Sage? Winning cures everything. So that's, I, I, I saw enough against the good teams that, I don't think the three guard lineup is is going to do us any favors. I think you could finish with it in certain circumstances, um, play it in certain stretches, but you need size, you need length. I, you I just mean, little, you just need a little bit more diversity on, on both ends of the floor. I just think it's it's too similar. I, I think that. I mean, it's a difficult position with how we've talked about how. Mello is this future Hall of Famer, but yeah, I think Nasir needs the lion's share of those wing minutes, and I think that trade, letting Rodney Hood and Gary Trent's minutes go to Nasir and DJ, I, I would like the I would like Nasir to get a healthy amount of minutes, but with what we gave up and Norm being a vet. I just don't see Terry Stotts doing it. And I, I think that there's. Oh, actual... I don't think he's doing it either. This was just my opinion, but I, I would shoot on that question. This I just would. Me, if I was coach. I wouldn't. I, I, I want to, I want to see what the norm. I want Norm to play as many minutes as possible in, in 2k. Have fun, bro. Put, put CJ as the six man. But Do you uh, know what's funny is I have updated rosters and I'm, I'm thinking about making the switch to a larger, I try to keep things as sim as possible. So I have the three guard lineup. It, it's, it's not great. Like I get kind of cooked on 2k going small. So I might have to go a little bit bigger. So it's kind of funny how you mentioned that. And I was like, Ooh, 
2K actually doesn't enjoy that small lineup either. Dude, yeah, having a small lineup in 2K really isn't uh, the most optimal thing if you're doing Sims. I haven't played 2K in like a week. Crazy shit, right? But, uh, I, dude, <laughs> but... Uh, let's let's get to these fan questions. Uh, we have a bit, I guess, we're all going through this, this struggle together, which is one reason why I love the fandom is you're not alone. Uh, Blazer fans, being a Blazer fan builds character. So it, we, we never take the easy road. So we're all kind of being bonded together through this, this, this rocky, rocky season. So let's go ahead and dive into them. First question is from at Goldner PDX. Brandon wants to know, this is a good question. How much time are you allowing the team to assimilate new slash injured players into the fold? Be sure, uh, excuse me, before you're sure that however they play on a given night, that's just how good the team is. So Brandon kind of wants to know, like, are we getting cooked because we're just not good enough? Or are we getting cooked because we haven't had enough time to get the team gelled? So I think it's also a pretty good, pretty good point. So what do you think, Sage? Well, I think that, you know, when you're talking about games played, you got to look at who actually played the game because Nurk and CJ's minutes went to NS Cantor and Small Ball Rob or Harry Giles and CJ's minutes went to Rodney Hood and Gary Trent Jr. And so when you look at who actually played the games, we're running with limited minutes. It's just we played so many games that it seems like these, these players played together, but in reality, they haven't. I mean, I go back to, we, we talked about this like two or three years ago, Sage, like our, the reason we were so excited going into the 2019, 2020 season was because, Oh man, we got Dame CJ Rodney hood, Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic like that. That was going to be our five to close out that season, you know, based off of what we saw in that Western conference finals run. I don't know if those five ever, I'd actually, they played six minutes together. Yeah. Like we never saw that. You never saw it. So Robert Covington and Yusuf played 111 minutes together. Yeah. So, so part of Brandon's question kind of holds a lot of weight because I feel like in Portland with, you know, certain players were always wondering when are they going to get back? Are they finally healthy? Can they stay healthy? I think that's a product of the roster and take, you know, Yusuf Nurkic and Zach Collins, for example, Zach's basically missed the last two years. Nurkic, I feel like gives us an injury scare every other night. It, it comes to a point where I don't know if you can count on those players long-term or that you should count on them long-term. I, I think there is an underrated value in, durability yeah john stockton had it uh damian lillard certainly has it andre miller has it like knowing that your player you can say whatever averages they have but knowing you're getting that every single night is so undervalued and underappreciated and so i think one we have to find players that can do that but to answer the question you know we're over 50 games into this season Yes, I know there's not a lot of time to practice due to health and safety protocols, but really every other team has probably either faced an injury or is facing the same practice restrictions that we are. It hasn't hurt teams like the Suns, hasn't hurt the Utah Jazz. uh, And even when we have seen Nurkic 
and CJ back. CJ's still not the same player he was pre-injury. Nurkic actually looks a little bit better, but he can't stay out of foul trouble. Uh, and I he's think unlimited minutes. And he's still limited minutes. He's you know doing injury management. He didn't play against the Pistons, so I'm kind of at a point where we're running out of time to even determine whether we know what we have. I, I think you kind of just have to see. Okay, these, this is our sample size, and regardless of who's playing or who's not, this is what we're going to have to use to judge to move the roster moving forward. So, personally, I think I've seen enough. I think it's more on the focus, the intensity, the effort, the the accountability, the, the discipline. Like it's more of those. I think the team's talented, and I think you're only going to get better as time goes on. But again, I don't know if, if a you can count on them staying healthy, or b you can count on the team kind of holding each other accountable and kind of showing showing us that they want it. So long, long answer to a difficult question, really. They they ha- really haven't played a lot of time together. And honestly, they might not play a lot of time together because of injury or, or COVID. You just don't know. But I'm not making any harsh judgment on the viability of Nurkic and Cantor or Nurkic and Cove or Nurkic and whoever, just because I haven't seen it enough. So I don't want to give a short-term answer if, if I don't have to. So I'm going to give it more time. And I know that the it's limited time and all that other jazz, but I'm not would, trying would, to make big decisions on, on players when you don't know the full story. I would argue that your time is running out making that decision. I will say that because this roster well, could get completely revamped. Goldner's just, asking about just, our, our, my opinion. No, I don't no, I agree. But, but I, I was saying that I think you personally might have to make that decision sooner rather than later, just given how our team's contracts are structured. We have a lot of key so, players. I mean, is he asking about free. future stuff or just this season? I think both. Because, I mean, it, like, kind of, it, it ties hand in hand because – if you say, okay, maybe even in 19 games, that's not enough, but I saw enough of what I liked that I'm willing to continue to go on with this core into next season. Whereas I'm saying, I think the team is either too injury prone in certain positions that you guys get 19 games and then we got to make these decisions with a lot of contracts this summer and next. So if, so, if it's long-term, it's different. I think yes. short-term... Not enough time. But if we're talking long-term about it, yeah, I'm going to make some difficult decisions or I'd be more willing to make difficult decisions. But if we're talking about a short sample size of Yusuf and Robert playing 111 minutes, it's undecided. But if we're talking about handing Yusuf a big-ass contract that's worth 20% of our salary, then the small sample size has increased a lot. So it's really about the timing of when you're asking. Uh, April 11th, 2021, we haven't played enough time together. Uh, Do you think there's enough time from now until the end of the season? It depends on rotations, man. Like, I I think that it's all dependent on how well this, this goes. So if we can stay healthy and we can see more feasible minutes with these players together. Yeah. But if, if Yusuf gets hurt again or if someone else gets hurt again, 
I think then that throws it off in, in a negative balance. So it's all about the timing of the question. So I don't feel comfortable giving use of 20% of the salary cap as of right this second. Maybe him stepping up in the playoff performance might sway something. I don't want to look at it like that because I think recency bias is a really damaging thing for uh, human beings. So I want to look at all the numbers and make an informed decision at the end of the year. I think with the injuries that have happened, it's just too, it's just too uh, drastic to say this cannot work. It hasn't worked, but it could. All right. We have three questions from Ryan, who is at time fleeting 34 on Twitter. When I proposed this question on Twitter, Ryan said, how much time do you have? I replied all night because Sage, we, we burn the midnight oil on these podcasts every Sunday night. So the next three questions are all from Ryan, all fantastic. We'll kick it off. He wants to know why is there this stale complacency that has permeated the franchise since the 2019 Western Conference Finals run? The same people in charge and they feel safe with their jobs. And I think I think I think Terry knows that this probably is his last hurrah. So he's on the whole fuck it train. You know, when you're when you're about to get fired from your job and you know you know what, let's just let it ride type of thing. So I I think that the stale management is probably why, and then not holding these players accountable. I would say a lot of it stems from Paul Allen passing away in the fall of 2018. Um, Paul, for better or worse, made changes. I mean, there was a chance, there was a time where we were a laughingstock franchise when we would, we fired Kevin Pritchard on draft night and made him still make our picks. I think we fired Rich Cho the, the following season. Um, fired Rick Adelman after so many good seasons, but he also had Bob Witsit come in and kind of turn things around as a GM and then let Bob Witsit completely blow it up. I mean, we, there's been Paul Allen, if, if anything, held the franchise accountable. For, for better or worse, you kind of had to get your, your shit together with Paul and with his sister and the Vulcan um, – Enterprise, I don't, the Vulcans, whatever you want to call them, the corporation, with them having the the primary stake of the franchise, nobody in Portland really knows how involved or invested um, the level of lack of transparency for real. Yeah, like we we really don't know. So a lot of but us you, are you here see the think, lack of transparency in everything. The only news and information you get is Yusuf's limited limit. If you really think about it, that's the only information that's produced on the injury report. You don't know anything else other than that. Nothing else is trackable. Nothing else is projectable. It's tough. I would also say that that year, we may have caught lightning in a bottle that year. Yeah, we, I think it's a, we kind of I got think hot like a, the Miami Heat did last year. But what I mean by by that is, yes, we, we did get hot. But if, if you look back, even the, this previous couple, two decades, you look at teams that kind of go on like Western Conference Finals runs out of the blue. I think there was a, a Utah Jazz team 
that that went in in 07 and they were able to make it to the conference finals because the Golden State Warriors upset that one seed Dallas Mavericks um the we believe Warriors but Utah was like a four or five seed and they ended up going to the Western Conference Finals and they got swept much like we did you look at the Memphis Grizzlies a team that has always been good but not great they kind of got their one Western Conference Finals appearance you know they kind of checked that box off but never really went further So there is some self-awareness there that maybe that's just the the best that a Damon CJ-led team can can be. You know, we really, Yusuf Nurkic wasn't even a part of that friend, uh, a part of that run. So I think a lot of the the complacency was like, oh, like, look at this team, and then we can add in Yusuf Nurkic. Like, we're going to be so much, you know, better. Um, I think there's also a fear of breaking up the Damon CJ duo. I mean, we, we talked about James Harden putting Portland on his list. We we could have had James Harden, like no inside information, but if, if you hear reputable sources like Chris Haynes that say, yes, it was confirmed. James Harden had Portland as one of his top three teams. And you look at the package that the Houston Rockets accepted. We beat that package 10 out of 10 times, hands down. Neil didn't pull the trigger. Neil has always failed to get that second star to play alongside Dame. And I think there's a lot of maybe arrogance in Neil O'Shea that says, hey, the team that I drafted, those two guys, the big man that I picked up for Mason Plumley, that's the big three that's going to get it done. Those are my guys. And you can't tell me shit otherwise. I mean, we've had this talk about Sadiq Bay. We love our guys. We love the guys that we scouted and love. You know, it's, and also, he, he, the Blazer fans just are cool to make some, some you know, we pack the arena regardless. We're cool just making the playoffs. If we win a round, say if we win just one round, we fucking go nuts. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of pressure. Well, we have the monopoly the on, like, top three sport, you know? Like, there yeah, is no we, football we, or we no baseball. We are the only show in town. And that is both a gift and a curse. And so, you know, we I can honestly talk about this this question all day, but I want to, we do have a few more questions. So I do want to move the discussion on second question, something we already touched on a bit, but maybe give another talking point. Uh, why is there zero accountability on and off the court within the organization's age? We're fucking up. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think we're just comfortable. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's comfortable old Portland, uh, you know, we hang our hat on making the playoffs, you know, eight straight seasons or seven or whatever the hell number it is. That That's just, I think this city, or no, 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 excuse me. I think this organization, even though different pieces are involved, is still so scarred from that jail blazers era that they want to do whatever it takes to stay as far away from that as possible. And so if you get a bunch of good guys, which they are, that can make the playoffs year in and year out. You don't have to go through a tank. That that stadium is full. They really don't care. That, I mean, what, what's they're, the they're goal for the off. Portland Trailblazers, too? Exactly. You rarely ever hear the Blazers talk about big goals. It's get to the playoffs. But, like, yo, with businesses themselves, man, like, do you think Pepsi is wants to take over Coke, or are they happy with where they're at as the number two and making – billions of dollars so is ownership and management's goals different than yours as a fan i imagine it is so you know 
if their goal is to make the playoffs and will maybe win around to get the fan base hyped, I think that they are on target. But if it's to win a chip, there's some work to be done. Last question from Ryan. It says, Terry Stotts doesn't seem to empower his players, plus there's very little adaptability scheme-wise. How is this acceptable? I would say one. I think he empowers his players. It, that, it, I think that. it's 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 so much like he he puts his empowerment at ten if it's a yeah. one to ten. Like you know, I mean, I think he, that's it. That's his calling card. He is a player's coach. I mean, you look at Blazers who play in Portland and then go elsewhere. They don't perform as well as they did in Portland. And, and I will say this: that that is on Terry Stotts. That is a plus. That's something mm-hmm. he can hang his hat on on his resume. That is something he does extremely well. But to the second part. There, there is zero adaptability with, with our scheme. We even had Damian Lillard, one of his agents, wasn't his direct agent, but someone that works at Goodwin Sports, great follow, uh, Nate Jones, at Jones on the NBA, basically tweeted tonight, where is the adaptability? Why, why are we doing nothing different? It's the same scheme to get to, to take Dame out of games. Blitz, blitz, blitz. Uh, we have nothing to beat it with. Nine years and counting. So it's not just, the fans, it's not just you and me, Sage. It's other people that, that are noticing the, the zero adaptability. And, and to, to, act, to answer his question, how is this acceptable? I mean, I think we're, we're seeing the end of the line. I, Damian Lillard even admitted that he went to bat for Terry after that sweep in 2018, said it was on the players, please keep him. And that was when Paul Allen was still alive. And had Dame not done that, we would have a new coach. I, I think this this is unless we have a deep playoff run. I mean, I think the it's it's going to come to you know a finale sooner or later. Charles Lee for uh, Trailblazers coach twenty twenty one. Um, Peter, shout out to Peter at Rip Citizen. My Says, man. I have nothing po- he says, I have nothing positive to say about the Blazers, but I look forward to every episode of Holy Backboard, despite the outcome of some of these games. Uh, salute to you, Peter. Uh, thank you so much. It's, you know, shout out to him. Uh, follow his uh, Twitter, follow his Instagram. He's very proud of his Instagram following. He has a uh, podcast about the first and best Cobra Kai companion podcast. Um, salute to you, my brother. Portland podcasting. A couple of questions from Sean Nelson at opinionated wino on Twitter. First question, uh, something we touched on a little bit, but he wants to know what if we started Derek again and made Norman a sixth man to keep scoring pressure on opposing teams. Think of Harden and OKC with Katie and Russ. Uh, he says it keeps scoring pressure on opposing defenses and lets Powell get easy buckets for his big free agency payout. Plus, it makes the starting five better on defense. We know this team can rack up points with DJJ in the starting lineup. We don't need Powell for that in the first three quarters. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that, Sage? If this was NBA 2K, I'd be willing to do it, but these are human beings with egos. So I would need to get the okay with DJJ Norman. If Norm is cool with sacrificing for the team, then sure. But if his ego and his production means that he should, he needs to start, I wouldn't really want to sacrifice it because I think DJJ can play either in the starting five or off the bench. If the numbers are pointing and Norm wants that starting role, 
I personally will give it to him. I mean, there's just so much locker room impact that you and I and all the fans don't know about. So if Norm is willing to sign sign off and sacrifice, sure. But my guy is Nas. Uh, I think he gives you even more size. I like DJ in off of of the second unit. I mean, if if we're keeping it a buck, and we really want to be better defensively out of the gates, and you want to think of Harden in OKC, it I think CJ CJ coming off the bench just like Ginobili did. That that's not going to happen, and I. But think is that, he going to? Is he willing to take that sacrifice? Probably. I, not. I I don't think CJ would. Yeah. Um, it's the, again that goes to kind of a, a, the root of of the the roster problem. Is it one of the most talented? Absolutely, but there there are some pieces that that are really hard hard fits. I mean, and, we've, you you've talked about Sharif Abdul Rahim as the starter versus off the bench. There's a mentality to being a off the bench scorer. So if, if there's sacrifice and there's a mentality, if one of those two is willing to do the sacrifice, then sure. But I don't think they are. It's a little crazy to me that we w- wouldn't even try it. And I say that because we've said in podcasts before, we want to win for Dame. Like Dame deserves it. We need to quit wasting his prime and kind of find the, the magic formula that that works with with Lillard. I would bet a ton of money that I either Norman or CJ are not on the team next year. One of them will be the starting two guard next to Dame, but I don't think you're going to see a starting lineup with Dame, CJ and Norm. Just from just from what I've seen and looking at that that long term and it goes back to uh, self-awareness with the franchise. If you can look long-term, and I think the great organizations do, why are we kind of fiddling around with something we know that's not going to be a long-term solution? Yeah. Yeah. Like that. So that's another thing that with the franchise that kind of makes me scratch my head. It's like, okay, like you trade for Norman Powell. Great. Good trade. But what's the plan? The plan can't just be, Oh, we're going to start him regardless. Now, if it started, and we flourished, you can absolutely roll with it. But we've seen the limitations that that small three-guard lineup has. I guess it goes back to organizational adaptability that we lack as well. Uh, it's it's all very, very frustrating as fans because I, I don't think many fans would say they know more about basketball than people within the Blazers organization. But when you see the same multiple fans come up with the same issues with the team. That's, I think what really makes it frustrating because it's like, Hey, we're just everyday people. And we're out here telling you what we see as the issue. And you've got other members of the media, you know, uh, chiming in with the same, same gripes. It just kind of leaves you a little hopeless um, to, to be, to be quite honest. And the last question from Sean, and I don't know if I know the answer. So maybe this is something for you, uh, Sage, but he wants to know how bad are the Blazers in the third quarter this year? Are they historically bad or have lots of teams routinely falling apart, fallen apart in the third? It seems like this happens every game except for that recent road trip after bringing in Norman Powell. Uh, Sean may be referencing that third quarter in Utah where things just, just fell apart. Um, I know we got outscored pretty bad tonight in the third quarter. 
against the Miami Heat, 33 to 23. Um, if we look at the Los Angeles Clippers game, only you know it's crazy. I've already Go looked ahead. at it. Let's hear it. We're middle of the road with third quarter team. I would just just from my observation, I, I have no, I have no statistical evidence. This is just a, a gut analysis of, of what I've watched through the first fifty plus games. I feel like we are really bad in the first quarter defensively. Like we let teams kind of get into their rhythm, and I'm looking at third quarter. So this is what I googled: NBA team third quarter margin, and this year. I feel like our second quarter is the worst. This year, we're the 15th team, 15th place team in third quarter margin. So I can Google that same thing for first. I know we're good in the fourth because that's how we get all our damn wins. Dame time. I mean, that that's, yeah, let, let's see the first and second quarters because defensively, we're terrible in the first, but I feel like things fall apart both ends. So we're Dave sits in the first quarter. We're eighth place in point differential this year in the first quarter in the second we're the 25th ranked team at, and negative quite a bit so i think it's the second quarter where shit falls completely uh out of the uh out of the water because in the first and third we're average to good so and that could primarily those statistics i think are skewed to reflect CJ's absence because when CJ was gone, you had Ant and Gary, Ant and Rodney Hood running that that second unit for six to seven minutes at a time. Uh, now, at least you have you know maybe Norm or or CJ there, but I think for the season, yeah, the second quarter, the third, uh, it seems like every quarter is a grab bag. You you don't know like tonight against Miami, we come out thirty one twenty five. Fantastic defense. I mean, the last three, the last three games in the third quarter, we've been pretty atrocious, but yeah, we've been pretty atrocious those last three games. So, but as, as a season average, we're quite good in the first and average in the third. And I assume that we're great in the fourth because obviously that's how we win games. So I think the second is our bugaboo, not our, not the first or third. I'm killing it with the stat looking up game right now. All right, Sage, let's uh, get into some previews. It's already been a, a beast of an episode. Really good, really good uh, conversation uh, with you and some great input from the fans. The Blazers have uh, a pretty important three-game stretch. Really, every game is going to be uh, important down the, the home the home front. Um, as I mentioned, five of our last 19 games – are against the two teams we have not seen this year, the Memphis Grizzlies and, and the Boston Celtics. Uh, so if you make hay against those teams, that's damn near 25% of your remaining schedule. Portland finally sees the Celtics uh, on Tuesday, a team that had a fantastic win in Denver. I believe they ended the game on like a 31 to eight run or some, some, something crazy to upset Denver and and halt their, their winning streak. Uh, right now, the Celtics are underperforming as yeah, well. Yeah, I was uh, about to they, say, look at their overall record. Yeah, they've won three straight, uh, but they are just 28 and 26. Doesn't that year, seem 11, really bad? 
Yeah, 11 and 16 away from uh, the Boston Garden. And then Portland goes on the road for a probably the most random two game road trip I can think of in recent history. Friday against the Spurs, and then they are making up the game against the Charlotte Hornets Sunday in Charlotte before starting probably the most important homestand of the entire season. Sage, I'm looking at three winnable games, but after what I saw tonight, I, I'm not super optimistic. But let's, let's, I, I don't think bit. it's entirely winnable. I mean, the know, let's, let's go quick. What, what are we looking at with the Celtics? Two all-stars, but they have not been able to put it together. Well, uh, they've dealt with a lot of injuries as well. Kemba Walker's uh, returning from, too. well, he's declining and he's returning from injury. Marcus Smart's been out for a while. They ran a really weird rotation where they did two non-shooting bigs for long stretches, uh, Tristan Thompson and Daniel Thice. They traded Thice, and that was mostly a cost-cutting move, which you can say was a bad move because Thice was one of their most positive players in terms of plus-minus. But the player that I'm most interested in is Robert Williams. He has shown some really good potential in the last like 15 games. He didn't play too well against Joel Embiid, so this might be a real test for him to go against Yusuf Nurkic and Enes Kanter because in his his ascent to being a pretty damn good center, he hasn't really played in that many good centers outside of JoJo. So the matchup between our centers is going to be the one that intrigues me the most. Of course, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are always going to be consistent. If one of the four main guards are out, it makes those other three that much better but uh yeah it's an interesting game and it's the only listed injured player evan Evan don't google um yeah he i that means that that these four guards are going to eat into each other's production i think it's imperative that we put our best foot forward against the two main all-stars so if we can do that and crush and find that matchup against Robert Williams. I think that the Blazers win this one and uh, it's going to look like a good win, but Celtics have been uh, pretty on the struggle bus pretty hard. So uh, I think this, I think it's a this, win. this game comes down to two, two factors for me. The first we've talked about this ad nauseum. If your three guard lineup can't survive against Boston, who's going to probably trot out, Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, and Jalen Brown. You're, you're not losing any size to that three. You have to absolutely show up and dominate. The, the second, and so it, one, if, if we don't dominate, you throw that three-guard lineup out the window. Like you have to go back to the drawing board and find a different starting lineup because if you, if you can't do it against Boston, you sure as shit aren't going to do it against Phoenix, Utah. Yeah, absolutely. Second point, Jason Tatum, prior to their victory in Denver, went off for 53 points in Minnesota. What team loves letting other superstars have ceiling games more than the Portland Trailblazers? I don't think there is one. Maybe, yeah. If you're a superstar, you should circle the Blazers on your calendar because you know you're going to get your looks. Covington is a, yeah. Covington is a fantastic defender, but as we saw when we let him go one-on-one against Giannis, it wasn't pretty. He's more of a free safety, not like he, he makes his 
he's Brad better off the but, ball. Yeah, he's better off ball. I personally don't think we're going to make adjustments on Tatum. Uh, I, I think it's another game like Miami where we should win. I, I'm honestly right now in a prove it mode with the Blazers. You know, tried to be positive and it was like, yeah, we're going to beat the Jazz. That seems like a schedule loss for Utah. I think, you know, we're going to go in there with a, a fuck you mindset. Uh, we're going to break your home home winning streak. We folded. Whenever we go up against a good team, we fold. So should we win? Yes. Am I predicting us to win? No. Like that. that's, that's the bottom line with this team. I need to see it. Am this I is still a team- winning? Oh, you're killing me. You're up by like seven. <laughs> the next game for the Blazers is a really interesting one because the San Antonio Spurs are kind of like a cockroach. You, you step on it and you think it's dead. And then it just comes back the next day. DeMar DeRozan, you know, they, they let LaMarcus Aldridge go as a buyout candidate. DeMar DeRozan hits a game winner. They're beating the Dallas Mavericks on the road. They are in the play-in scenario right now. They are just a game behind the Memphis Grizzlies for eighth. Um, They're actually, even though this game is in San Antonio, they're better on the road than they are at home. So that could work in Portland's favor. Uh, They're 13-9 and away, 12-17 and at home. This is a Spurs team that fed us our lunch. Jakob Pertl. Back, I believe. Oh my god, I got I mean, we played this team a long time ago. Yeah, Jakob changed the game. It was Aldrich to start and Pirtle to finish. Yes. January 18th. It was MLK Day. We lost 125 to 104. Um what do you make of the new small ball spurs, Sage? I think that without Lamarcus, that uh DeJounte and Derek and uh, DeMar get a lot more usage. I mean, what scares me is I just vividly remember us not being able to box out. So I know we're not the best rebounding team in the league. I don't want Jakob Pertl to be the difference between a win and a loss. So I think this is where we as a team have to focus on f- rebounding the damn ball because if we don't, we're going to lose again to a team with a small ball youth movement ass team. I mean, it's even the most hardened Stotts fan is going to say Popovich is better, right? And Popovich is arguably the goat of all professional sporting coaches. Yeah. So I just want Stotts to motivate his team to beat the shit out of this team that we're obviously more talented than. I think that our coaching. We are at a supreme loss in coaching, but we have more talent on this floor. So I think it's time to remind these players that this game, I know it's serious and big money is attached to it, but it's also really fun. I think we need to kick the shit out of the Spurs. Are you going win? I'm going win. Okay. So if our three guard lineup isn't able to do it against Boston, they better do it against San Antonio. <laughs> you're really going to get another opportunity against the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, this is a matchup tailor made for the Portland Trailblazers. I don't think you can match up better with with the team. Uh, Covington on on Demar Derozan. You've got you know Dejounte and Lonnie Walker, Keldon. Like our guys can match up with 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 those 
players. I, I really like Ennis Cantor and Yusuf Nurkic if, if both are able to play. Uh, Ennis took a Derek Jones shoulder to the head that knocked him out, but he came back in the game uh, just tonight against the Heat. Uh, Nurkic fell on his back, said he's fine. The x-rays were negative, but you know who who knows? Assuming they, they are both a go, that, that's a matchup you should win inside the paint. Uh, this is going to come down to two things for me. One, focus. Greg Popovich is going to have that team ready to play. They're probably going to be out-talented on most nights, but they won't beat themselves. Portland beat themselves in that first half against the Miami Heat just because of their mental approach to that game. If we come out with that same approach, it's going to be curtains, game over. The other factor that I would look at is the bench. Patty Mills and Rudy Gay always seem to light us up. They had a combined 42 points on 16 of 28 shooting, including 10 of 15 from downtown in that performance on MLK Day in Portland. Whose bench is going to be better? Uh, that that's another big factor for me. Patty Mills is a big energy guy. Um, always seems to just, just play the game with so much joy. I mean, you talk about having fun. He's always having fun out there. Um, I think the Spurs get it done. Uh, they're a team we should beat, but again, are, are the Blazers going to show up? I, I, I don't know. Um, the next game we have is against the, the Charlotte Hornets, uh, a game that Portland's, probably benefits from getting moved. Not only were we without Yusuf Nurkic and CJ McCollum at the original uh, time, I believe in February. They had LaMelo. LaMelo Ball was healthy then. He is still out with that fractured wrist. So even though they have players like Miles Bridges, who delivered arguably the dunk of the year over Clint Capella, if you haven't seen that, please visit YouTube now. It is absolutely nasty. And they have, you know, Terry Rozier and they have Gordon Hayward and and really capable players. Like they are fighting for a playoff spot as well. They are sixth in the East, 27 and 25, uh, 13 and 10 at home. They play teams tough. This is a weird road trip. This is the only game in the Eastern time zone, like San Antonio to Charlotte and then back to Portland. Very difficult to deal with. So Sage, what do the Blazers make of the LaMelo-less Hornets? Their rotations are kind of weird. They've recently been playing Cody Zeller and Bismack Biombo strictly at the five. Uh, PJ Washington is a very interesting player, but he is so much more effective at the five position as an undersized five versus Bismack. So they're kind of giving him a haircut in terms of potential points and rebounds so this team is always weird to me i I think gordon hayward is the player to watch again we talked about the small ball lineup but terry rozier Devontae graham and gordon hayward we probably we need to match up with them and dominate so this this is a big week for me as a norman powell as a starter uh candidate so i mean the mellow ball was the the key to that team. They're still fighting for a playoff seed, so that they're not gonna back down. But I'm thinking a three and week against this team. Um, yeah, uh, big rotations weird. PJ Washington not good as a power forward. Gordon Hayward well, it looks is good. Like PJ is day to day, 
with an ankle. Uh, Malik Monk is expected to miss two weeks. Uh, Gordon Hayward uh, is going to be reevaluated in four weeks with a foot oh. injury. So uh, he will not play. Uh, this is a game where it all comes down to, do we want to be here? And what the Blazers have shown for the most part is an ability to handle teams that are inferior in talent. So before I was going to, I was going to say a loss, but then I saw that Gordon Hayward was out and the Blazers. Yeah, that's have, big. They, to, that's really big. To, to their credit, the Blazers have done a good job of beating teams that they should. So for that alone, I, I think that they salvage the week with, with a nice road victory coming home for, for a homestand. Uh, I think we need to see, and we ran long. We didn't get to talk about everything that I had on my list. But one thing I want to bring up now is this could possibly be a game where you rest Damian Lillard. Either you you rest him or you try to get him going. Uh, I think this has been probably the, the roughest stretch of the season for him these past couple of weeks. Really taking his name out of the MVP consideration. I'm just hoping he can hang on to that All-NBA first spot. Uh, because it's been rough. Teams are doing whatever they can to get him out of the game. They're saying anybody else but Damian Lillard. He rested against um, the Orlando Magic right when we got Norman Powell. Uh, this could be a similar game that, that you could either either rest him or find ways to get, get him going. Uh, because we're not going to win unless he's 100%. So one of our guards has to carry this this roster i mean that's what they're getting paid to do that's their role with how many shots they take they've been here the longest we need them to kind of carry us for a little bit so that that's what i would look for with this team but also i remember the last time we played in charlotte i don't think we played them last year due to the shortened season but the previous year was i think one of rodney hood's first games with the team and he scored like 25 points uh, almost all of them in like a crazy second half run that spurred us on to victory against a kind of a scrappy Hornets team. This could be another Norman Powell, Rodney Hood type of, of game where you get maybe some scoring that you didn't expect at that volume. So one thing to keep in mind there, it could either be a big game from Dame or CJ, or we get the unexpected outburst from a guy like uh, Norman Powell, but I think that that wraps it up there, Sage. Uh, you want to send us on home? Yeah, um, we are available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, Tuesdays, 2 to 3 Pacific, 4 to 5 Eastern. And if you like us, leave a nice review, five star us, and uh, share it with your friends. We provide weekly Blazers content and we're looking to provide more content soon, so be on the lookout for a lot more Holy Backboard content coming to you. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!